Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome once again to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. And today we look at Carillion. Another public sector outsourcing disaster. A massive UK construction company. It's hit the wall, potentially leaving lots of people out of work, lots of investors out of pocket, and lots of government projects and services struggling without any management or funding. Is this another warning sign that outsourcing practically everything or resorting to public-private partnerships are just too risky? And what benefits do they provide? Why are governments so focused on hiving off responsibility for things that they're paid by the taxpayer to do themselves? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, the uh, collapse of Carillion this week was not only bad news for the company's shareholders, who, by the way, uh, really felt the hit in the middle of last year when the shares fell by more than two-thirds and never really recovered, but it's also bad news for the government because Carillion does a lot of work for them. Uh, So Steve Keen is with me. Is this another sign that public-private partnerships, and of course they weren't all just public-private partnerships, a lot of them were just contracting out work uh, to be done by Carillion, but but combined that provided a lot of revenue for Carillion, revenue that it seems was just too risky and it didn't work for either side. So is this another sign of governments having off their jobs in such a way that they lose control? And, you know, it basically creates a mess and we see things go off the rails, which is what's happened here. I think it isn't just the government that does it. It's been it's been a general trend if you go back about 40 or 50 years for the belief that uh, companies, you know, we're in the X business, we're not in the Y business, therefore any any component of Y that we're currently doing, we should outsource. And a major part of that, of course, was the growth of the computer industry and people are saying we're not in the database business, you know, we're in the, uh, the shoe selling business, so we should outsource the design of our database to an external company. Um, and the whole idea was it's supposed to be cheaper. And the irony is that quite a few times it ended up being more expensive for a range of reasons. First of all, the consultants charge you an arm and a leg and whatever little part of your anatomy they think you can do without at the time uh, or don't notice that they're taken from you. Uh, one of my favourite statements was a, a consultant that is said believes it no crime to borrow your watch to tell you the time. Um, so the, the charges were actually higher than was supposed to happen. And though the, though the outsourced company had the expertise in the area itself, they didn't have the internal deep expertise in your company. Yeah. And they continued designing stuff that wasn't quite appropriate. And uh, I've seen this in the um, in the university sector as well, with the outsourcing of design of student management systems to computer companies, who really haven't got a clue um, sometimes of what actually is involved in student management. And then, secondly, the people who make the choices about that software decision run the universities and equally don't have a clue what universities do. These are the vice chancellors and deputy vice chancellors, pro deputy vice chancellors, pro neutron neutron vice chancellors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They get promoted up the chain because they because they're lousy at teaching and research. So we give them admin. 
and they do that badly as well. So the, the, the similar tendency, I think the government's just taken it one step further because of this ideology that the government always does, does things badly. Yeah, well, and it is It is an ideology. Isn't it part of that? It's also, But it's also this, this idea that they're managing risk by doing it. You know, we're taking the risk out of the public sector uh, and we're giving it to the private sector. Well, well, well welcome that, to reality because you, what actually happens with these contracts is you're, you're normally... Uh, dealing with people who, who are, uh, you know, remember the old saying about Laurie Connell, the uh, the uh, Ponzi financier in Western Australia, by the by the uh, Premier of Western Australia, saying you never want to stand between Laurie Connell and a bucket of money. Well, <laughs> that's what happens with this lot because yeah. they see a bucket of money for the government are uh, from the government. Of course, the government fundamentally is is, is you know, anybody who understands modern money theory in the very correct aspect it has about. Uh, uh, about the government accounting and how government can actually create its own money. Uh, it, it, it doesn't need to save the money, but it's got bucket loads of it. And when you see these uh, these terms which are negotiated in these so-called public-private partnerships, um, they're really public-private parasitic arrangements because the the terms are written in such a way that, first of all, the charges are pretty high in, in designing it in the first place. You, you're told you're paying for a premium for the better expertise. And then the contract will normally outsource the risk back to the government again. Yeah. And that's I- what we're seeing now. And, and if you don't, if, if it's not outsourced back to the risk, so that, uh, back to the government, then th- then it means in, in future prices are going to go up because people are going to say, yeah. well, we've got to factor our risk. And that, maybe that's what's going to happen here because basically the government has said, well, we're not going to bail out Carillion. They're, they're, they're a private company. Uh, and I guess that makes any future uh, arrangements. I mean, anyone who's dealing with the government is saying, well, okay, if you're not going to mitigate any of the risk, if you're not going to uh, help us if we go belly up, then we're going to have to push our prices up. Yeah, well, I, I would I would prefer to see the government maintain a lot of this expertise in internally again because uh, the whole idea that outsourcing is inherently cheaper has been shown to be quite wrong it, it's, it was it was cheaper when you outsource production and sending sending your manufacturing to unskilled workers in the third world rather than unskilled workers in alabama um and and that was a, a major this, this ideology sort of arose at the same time and of course my my favorite uh, intellectual act- activity neoclassical economics has supported all of this stuff um by arguing that public servants are uh, as self-motivated as uh, people in private sector are, therefore they're rent-seeking, and therefore we should minimise the rent-seeking by outsourcing what they do to a competitive market, and the competitive market will necessarily be better. All a load of nonsense uh, when you look at the actual theory behind it, and you look at the actual starting precept of saying people in the public sector are motivated for their own personal gain. I've had you know, enough dealings with people in the public sector, outside university uh, managers, I might add, uh, to realise that a lot of people go there because they have a genuine sense of public service. Yeah. And you need that skill set internally. If you don't have the skill set, first of all, you can't evaluate whether you're being ripped off on a contract or not. And that's certainly what's happened in a lot of these public-private partnerships. And and secondly, you, knowing the needs you have, are, are better at designing what's necessary than putting it out to an outs- to an outsourcer who's one or two or three steps removed from knowing what your needs actually are well yeah i mean you made the point about uh, you know that if you've got this if you've got the skill set then um then, then maybe that's an opportunity where you should say should say that you can you should outsource it so for example if you're talking about big engineering projects 
I'm not sure we'd want the government to be doing all the major uh, manufacturing. If we're, if we're looking at hospi- building hospitals, for example, or railway stations, then uh, there's an argument there, surely, that we, sh- we should be saying, well, OK, let's give it to companies that are focused on doing this, so long as that's what they do. But I think what we happen to have with Carillion is a company that did that, and actually not doing it terribly well because they've had uh, major blowouts on their projects, which has been part of their problem. But the fact that they're doing a whole load of other things as well, like, for example, well, managing, managing school dinners. We, we, well, build, we build big buildings buildings and we manage school dinners uh, there's no connect there <laughs> well what you what you actually had was a what, what looks like a pretty much internally uh, you know, a ponzi organization rather than a genuine one it was a good at financial engineering and pretty lousy at real engineering yeah and this this again is the problem well, if, no, no, if you, don't think it was good at either because actually on the financial engineering basically uh, they scooped up a couple of other big companies and i think part of their problem was apart from the fact that you know they had the uh, the, the cost overruns with with businesses is is also when they acquired these other companies uh, the share the, the share the share price tanked because basically uh, the incremental value that was created uh, didn't support these these additional shares so so the uh, earnings per share went down so the share price tanked more than half last year and that was the beginning of their problem so they're pretty bad at financial engineering as well no but they're not saying they're good financial engineers I'm saying they're actually financial engineers rather than good industrial engineers yeah and this is the, the, the whole idea that whacking a profit margin on and their profit margins can in, ter- in terms of the you know comparison to your your throughput cost can be of the order of 40 50 percent and that's going to give you a cost saving over so-called inefficient government government would need to be inefficient to enormous scale to make that advantageous in the first place but that's the belief that got through put through let's, i think it's called public choice economic theory where they tried to use neoclassical profit maximizing concepts to explain what the behavior was of people who actually ran public institutions and compared to you know, with the starting precept that these are self-interested and rent-seeking individuals in the, in the government. Uh, yes, of course, they exist, but but fundamentally, I find that is that is just not, pardon me, a little beep from my reminder to talk to you at 10 o'clock this morning. Yeah, I just got one of those at precisely the same time, interestingly enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, so it, it is... It, it is a fallacious intellectual background which justified a practice which in the, in, in, in the outcome has been massively unsuccessful. And in fact, the, the risks that have been transferred back to the public sector have been far greater than any, the cost savings, which turned out not to be there in the first place. But where do you draw the line? So there, there was a, there's a lobby group called We Own It, which I, you, you might uh, quite enjoy having a look at. They, they ran a, a, a survey recently and it said 80% of people believe when a, a public service is put out to tender, there should always be an in-house bid to see if it actually it could be provided publicly at better value. And in fact, Conservative voters rated that higher. 87% said, yes, there should be some sort of in-house bid. So sort of an internal competitor, if you're looking at, uh, at external players. Doesn't seem like a bad idea, because sometimes you do have to go outside. You, we can't say everything the government provides is provided by the government without any uh, any suppliers. They're always going to use suppliers, whether it's a public-private partnership or whether they're just saying, yeah, we're going to pay you to complete this project. They're always going to need suppliers to do stuff for them. Yeah, um, but you need the expertise internally to be able to assess what the suppliers are putting forward. And this yeah. is where, as you de-skill the government and say that our expertise is in, uh, you know, um, raising the taxes and and you know, spending spending the money but not actually doing the work, what you end up is potentially with, and I think you've seen this level of de-skilling the public services in certainly Australia and the UK under the sort of Thatcherite arguments that have dominated both countries for some time, you de-skill the public sector to the stage where it can't decide what's a good bit and what's a bad one to begin with. Yeah. 
So if you're building, uh, so if you're building a hospital, then you should have a chief architect who's involved in the planning of that that hospital, uh, who's involved in the the decisions about uh, how it's going to be built, uh, how many people it's going to require, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have colleagues who work at a company called Simudyne, which does a lot of very good work on computer simulation, and they act as a consultant to the design of the particularly nursing homes right now, where they, where they work out what the evacuation route should be using multi-agent modelling of the movement of people under various risk situations. Now, that is a, that's the sort of skill you need from the outside because that's such innovative software and innovative technology. You're not necessarily going to get that designed internally. Mm. I'll, I'll give one of my favourite examples there. I worked as a consultant to uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Babette Ben-Susan, and Babette... Uh, uh, was an expert in uh, what do they call it? Um, it's, it's something intelligence, so strategic intelligence, and uh, we were asked to assess the New South Wales Water Board's database. A, 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 what do they call it? A, 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 a geographic information system. I've forgotten the actual proper term for it. Right. And they wanted to use like this ge- like geodemographics, that sort of stuff. You know, it was actually showing where all the pipes were. Oh, you right, know, okay. The, okay. So it was a geodesic information system. And I I, I did the comparison of that of what they had to the um, market out there. And it was a primitive, like 20, 20 or 30 years behind the times, mainframe-based system, which worked for the water board but was completely primitive compared to things like Arc Info and so on. So we advised them, don't try to sell the damn thing sell the database you've got there to the companies that use Arc Info, but for God's sake, don't sell your interface. It's dreadful. Mm. So in those situations, I can certainly see the, the innovative side of the public, of the private sector um, being what you want to bring in. But it's the innovative side. It's not necessarily the, the engineering and management side. Right. And certainly it's not the financial engineering side as we're finding out the hard way right now. Right. And, but your other point is you've got to have smart people in the public sector who are, who are driving the agenda, not just people who That's are... That's right. You have so, to have them able to assess it. And in that particular case, we were lucky to have a, a guy on the water board who looked at our recommendations and said absolutely totally agree there's no way we can market this stuff it'd be an embarrassment okay we'll sell the uh, sell the database instead well let's look at the australian example because there weren't smart people making decisions in sydney when they started building uh, roads under public private oh, yes remember the cross city tunnel i mean the company that was building that went into receivership before they even started to build the bloody thing and, and it, it was very cross my my favorite though you got to remember uh, this finishing on that you remember why why it went wrong is because because the government got the numbers wrong on how many cars were going to use it. So that was public sector incompetence. They didn't have smart people driving the agenda. I think it was also the, the internal firm, the firm that got one the bid, over-evaluated the numbers to, to make it look more profitable for the government as well. Mm. But my favourite, uh, you and I catch a few airplanes, I, I think, it's mm. true to say. Yeah. Me in particular. Yeah, um, definitely you. The, <laughs> the, um, the airport rail link in Sydney. Yeah. When the journey, they first announced what the price was going to be for the train, is private, no, the private public partnership, and they announced what the price was going to be. I think it was $25 per ticket, and yeah. the journalists in the room simply burst out laughing. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, because one station down the line, uh, it was uh, like a couple of dollars. It was, yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, you're, either you're side, pay, you're, was, you're paying twenty three dollars to leave the station, basically. That's right, and it was, and, and it was appallingly bad. It meant, it meant that if you got a, if two people in a taxi from anywhere within thirty kilometres of Sydney, it was cheaper to sit in a taxi and be driven there to the destination rather than catching a bloody train and dragging your bags up and down uh, train carriages that weren't designed for carrying luggage anyway. So 
that's that was a classic instance where you simply took the action off the books of the government and the whole motive for it from the government's point of view was to try to make look like they were balancing the budget mm. and, then, now, and, and there's, sadly australia has lots of these examples doesn't it particularly in the in the transport uh, sector because connector motorways uh, was another one they built the lane cove tunnel in sydney they also went into receivership wasn't mm-hmm. helped by the fact the tunnel caved in before they before they finished opening it there was uh, right next, i don't even remember there was right next to an apartment <laughs> so, block yeah. this hole emerged but i mean but that I guess that sort of gets back to your point, doesn't it? That perhaps the people driving the agenda here just weren't smart enough. There wasn't the brain power. There wasn't that core capability within the government to be able to effectively again, outsource. Again, it's an ideological shift that's driven it. Actually, I can recommend a book here. It's a bit out of date, but it's a very, very good book. Over an old friend of mine from New South Wales University, Michael Pusey. And uh, I've forgotten the actual title, but the subtitle is A Nation Building, uh, a, a nation building Government Changes Its Mind. And you had the, again, driven very much by neoclassical economics, you had a shift from government seeing themselves as being nation building to seeing themselves as being penny pinching and, and avoiding, you know, saving up the, the, uh, uh, the government's money, which of course is utterly unnecessary. But that shift from nation building to cost saving and cost cutting is what's driven a lot of this private public partnership stuff around the world. Again, it comes back to this belief the government should balance its books. And what they do is they they, off, they outsource this stuff to the private sector. It ends up costing the public more money, and it's not necessary in the first place. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, at the very simple level, uh, it doesn't take a great deal of brain power to work out. If the public sector and the private sector did the job equally as well, um, and you know, people will argue, well, that is not the case. But if they did do it equally as well, and, and if, if they don't, the question is, why not, and how can we fix it? But if they did do the job equally as well, then it's going to be more expensive to outsource it because they're taking a profit on top of everything everything else, you know, they've, they've got to satisfy yeah. their shareholders. You need a large margin to make the private sector advantageous there. And uh, that the, the fact that the margin was necessary was in some ways absolved by neoclassical theory that said, oh, we've got perfect competition, there is no margin. Mm. I mean, you know, the, the extent to which myths drove this situation and reality is what we're now living in. Um, it's fairly indicative of the problem in the first place. Well, I mean, and look, if you are outsourcing, you'd outsource for the expertise, wouldn't you? You'd be there saying, well, okay, here's a specialist company. So we need to build big buildings. We're not going to employ everybody to build a, a big building. We, you know, perhaps we want to be involved in the design of the building, but the implementation of it, we, we you know, we, we don't want to get involved in that. Somebody else can well, do that. Well, that's, that's the real thing. It's the skill set. That's why I used the example of Simudine beforehand, yeah. because you're not going to have that stuff being designed by, uh, you know, necessarily designed by, by a government uh, engineer but uh, so you, you bring in the expertise you don't try to make it cheaper yeah. uh, because the cost advantages need to be absolutely enormous to make up for the profit margin that's whacked on top and also of course as we've seen with uh, this company the outsourcing of the risk it'll fail in the end and, and look and uh, there is that question isn't there that if you've got a company that's that big and a whole chunk of their work I think it's like a third of their work was in government contracts they probably get a little bit blase and start to think well we are big you know that whole argument we keep on using where they, did they think they were too big to fail certainly I think some of the people lending money to them were probably thinking well you know they've got secure work because they're working for the government and therefore they would be prepared to take bigger risks with them yeah and that's exactly what's happened in this case and several others yeah so i hope the trend is over but what you've then got to do is rebuild the capacity within the state to at least be able to assess these projects in the first instance and then at least carry some out so you've got some rival expertise internally well expertise because- expertise is the key point here isn't it because i mean if you look yeah. at if you look at carillion they were i mean you could say well okay they're a construction company but they also do facilities management 
875 schools. We're now we now got the bloody fire service delivering those uh, those meals to schools because they've got to fill the gap. Uh, they were building ha- uh, hospitals, so that's fine. That's a sort of like a infrastructure building project. They but they provide housing services for the armed forces. I mean, the mm. army owns those houses. Why do they need someone else to run them? Surely that is a core capability for the government. What what have they got the private sector involved in that for? Yeah, I know. It's 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 been a con job. And the interesting thing is, um, we've had forty years of it now. I mean, the railways in the UK are another instance of yeah, that. Absolutely. Um, the idea that it's going to be cheaper, and because and again, the model that's used is the model of a competitive market. Now, when you put a rail line from here to Brighton, uh, from London to Brighton, um, there's only one rail line. There is no competitor. What yeah. you've done is monopoly power, uh, which they will happily exploit and charge you a fortune for it. Uh, whereas the state system doing it, because it doesn't have that motivation, can actually be cheaper and actually do better engineering. I, I, I'm continually uh, re- amazed to see the contrast between the shoddy state of the UK rolling stock and the lateness of the trains versus what's happened over here in, in, uh, in where I'm at right now in Amsterdam. I, I got to the train station yesterday and it was 20 minutes and 30 seconds past the hour and I saw there was a train at 21 minutes. I thought, damn, I've missed it. <laughs> I wouldn't think that in the UK. So I'll stroll down. It'll still be there on the platform when exactly. I arrive. I've got another half an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, well, I mean, the, I mean, Ma- Margaret Thatcher, of course, fi- famously privatised the railways, and she uh, set set up separate operating companies. But they also privatised the uh, the operation of the uh, of the of the track as well. They had a private company called Rail Track, which maintained the infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, it was listed on the FTSE. Uh, then they got into financial trouble. There was a couple of significant How unusual. Yeah, a couple of significant rail disasters. Uh, strange that when the profit motive is the uh, is, is the overriding concern uh, and it was renationalized and it's still there today so um, uh, that was an example of a of a failure that the government had to retrace its steps on and yet perhaps not learned a great deal from that experience no hopefully we will learn because uh, i think it's partly where the success of momentum and, and uh, jeremy corbyn in general the uk are coming from because people have seen so many travesties in this area and they're, they're now saying, well, okay, great. Thanks for the theory. Reality hasn't worked out quite the same way. Let's reconstruct what used to exist beforehand. Right. So, okay, so it's a happy medium we're talking about then. But, I mean, it seems to be what you're, what you're saying is keep that core expertise. There needs to be that level of knowledge. So, like town planning, for example. You know, people used to, used to be a, uh, you know, people used to go and study town planning and used to work in government planning departments where you had all of that intellect and that was uh, managing that, that relationship. With the, with the suppliers. Yeah, and that's now gone. But I think it, it comes down to the, the side where you do want the private sector in there is where you do want a level of innovativeness uh, supplied rather than cost ca- savings. And my favourite example there is institutional versus um, small-scale delivery of food. Mm. Uh, any, I'm, I'm sure plenty of people in here have had food at hospitals, and, and, you know, that's one reason why you remain in hospital. The food's so bad it keeps you sick. Um, but when you outsource the production of the food to a local restaurant, you might get a higher quality uh, because they're just more likely to innovate. And uh, and so there are elements like that uh, which which are, make sense for putting it out to a private sector, but not on the basis of saving money. That will almost always backfire on you. Yeah, I know. Yet it always is, obviously, uh, because they've got because there's not the knowledge within the uh, within those departments within the government to to know what else to look for other than the best price. But very often, you know, if you're talking about that innovation, that innovation is very often going to come from smaller organisations because the larger organisations find it harder to innovate because, they, uh, because they're too big to innovate. And what they have is financial engineering is innovation rather than, uh, rather than real engineering, and we see where that leads. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, as it's another lesson, but uh, has it been learned? Good to talk on this one, uh-huh. Steve. See you again soon. Yeah. And that is the Debunking Economics podcast for today. Next time, hey, it's one for the UKIPers. Uh, can you have migration and full employment? Is there a relationship between the number of people coming into the country and the number of people who are out of work? Uh, we'll look at that one next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.